Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to welcome you to part two of our conversation with Donna Hicks. Donna is an associate at the Weatherhead Center for International Affairs at Harvard University. As a conflict resolution specialist, Donna has facilitated diplomatic efforts in the Middle East and other high conflict regions like Sri Lanka and Northern Ireland, and has conducted numerous training seminars worldwide. She is also the author of the book, Dignity and Leading with Dignity, How to Create a Culture that Brings Out the Best in People. Let's continue our conversation with Donna. And so Donna, you know, I'd love to talk a little bit about this word dignity, Uh, you know, to be candid with you prior to meeting you and reading your book. It is not a word that I had spent a ton of time thinking about, but today uh, and over the last 14 years as a leadership coach, I've been thinking about, you know, what is the model? for a great leader and you know what are the four or five behaviors they need to demonstrate in order to ensure regardless of what the environment is that they are demonstrating great leadership one of those words is curiosity you know a great leader is always curious about what others are doing and how they're doing it and why they're doing it uh, the flip side of being curious is you have to be a great listener you have to listen to what they're saying and you know a third one that i have now installed is demonstrating dignity, that you have to demonstrate and sh- show people dignity and recognize that everybody possesses dignity. So you're the expert on this word. If you could tell us a little bit more about the definition of the word, does everyone have it? And you know, help us understand what it means more than we might today. I had a hard time with this one, Ed, when I was writing my book, or more like when I was researching my book, because First of all, I knew just from anecdotal experiences that I, I was on to something. I knew that. Um, but because I'm an academic, too, as well as a practitioner, I wanted some evidence. You know, I wanted to know I wanted to know that what I was saying really had some gravitas. And so the definition was I, I felt something that had to be simple so that everybody could understand every even children i wanted children because i was hoping to get this into the schools as well so my very simple definition after going through all the literature in philosophy and theology and and they are going back and forth debating this and i didn't want to debate 
I wanted action. I wanted to change people's lives with this word. So for me, what I came up with was this very simple definition that dignity is our inborn value and worth. And add on to that, our inborn vulnerability to having that value and worth uh, injured, challenged. So, so it's our inborn value and vulnerability. That's how I, I see the definition. And, you know, when, Ed, when I talk to people, I give lots of talks and I ask them, what do you think dignity is? And the very first word out of their mouths is always respect. And I say to them, well, you know what? I think dignity is different from respect. And I'll tell you why. And I explained to this story that, you know, uh, I was always working with parties who would claim that they deserve to be treated with respect, you know, that we are, this is, we're fighting to be treated with respect. And I said, I remember saying to them, wait a minute, you know, I think demanding to be treated with respect is a bridge too far here. I think what you need to do is to say we demand to be treated with dignity because every single one of us as human beings is born with that inherent value and worth. And I said, if you could, that's something we can work with. Now, respect, on the other hand, I think is something that's earned that, you know, Ed does a great podcast every week and I love his podcast and I really respect the work that he's doing to spread the word for others. It would spread his insight. So I, you see, the difference is you have to do something to gain respect. But dignity, we all have it. We all deserve to be treated as if we're, you know, uh, uh, something of value and worth. And, um, and that's the baseline. Ed. That's where we should all start. But as we said earlier, the ignorance surrounding this truth, it's a basic human truth that we all have dignity. I mean, here's the thing. I had three simple truths coming up with this definition. One, we all want to be treated with dignity. Number two, when we're not, we suffer. And number three, when we are treated with dignity, we flourish. So you see, all that goes back to why it's so important for people in leadership positions, especially in the workplace, to under or anywhere, but to understand those three basic truths. Because we could create environments just by recognizing people's inherent worth and treating them as if they matter. That can check. That can change the world. Quite frankly, I mean, I really believe it. Um, so those definition, that definition, our inherent value and vulnerability. Because the truth is, we are vulnerable to having these these dignity violations. And I wanted to say one more thing about what I do, um, Ed, when I go into the corporate world, especially. And the you know, I sit down for an interview, and they decide whether they want to hire me. And they say to me, oh, you know, dignity is such a nice, touchy-feely kind of thing. And tell us more. And I said, you know, that, that, that's really nice to say that it's a sweet, touchy-feely thing. But the fact is, it's so much more than that. I said, it's not just about being nice. It's not just about, you know, saying good things about people. This is something that our biology, that we're wired inside. In our brains, we are wired to react to these dignity violations. And I go through this neuroscience research 
where uh, these neuroscientists put people in these brain scans, you know, the big uh, tubes, and they, they flash these different scenarios in front of them of different types of social interaction or what happens to people uh, in their brains during these types of different types of social interactions. And what they discovered, of course, is when somebody, let's say somebody falls and breaks their arm. Well, they look in the brain, what is part of their brain is being illuminated during those circumstances, and they find out it's the ancient pain center. Of course, it's called the limbic system. It's that particular, and in particular, the amygdala. It's where we experience raw emotions. So it's a very volatile part of our brain. Well, the interesting part of the, the research that they did showed that when people had their dignity violated, it showed up in the same exact area of the brain as if they were experiencing a physical injury. I, I take this into the corporate world, Ed, and I say, this is not just touchy-feely. This is really significant. This is about do no harm. We would never allow in a workplace people going around punching each other and slapping each other. And, you know, we've got laws to protect us against physical harm. But when it comes to harm to our dignity, you know, we don't get too much attention for that. In fact, people kind of back away from you when you've had your dignity violated. It's so embarrassing. So, you know, I say to these people, yeah, it's a very simple idea here, this dignity. Treat everybody as if they have value because if you treat them badly, they're going to react. And those reactions from that old brain part, you know what they look like? Resentment, anger, you know, they lash out, they want to return the harm. It's all this ugly stuff. So I say to these people, this is a no-brainer. You've got to leverage this stuff. You've got to figure this out and, and use it. You're going to be so happy if you do. So that's well, mission. Well, look, I uh, would love to make two quick comments. One, uh, since reading your book and having gotten to know you, I have become a student of looking at the world as if everybody deserves and has dignity. And that's a change for me. And it's not because I was disrespectful to anyone. Most people who know me would say that I'm always very respectful to others. But from my perspective, recognizing that even if someone's knocking on our front door whom I don't know, they have dignity in what they're doing and how they're interacting and deserve to be treated in an appropriate way. So it requires a state of mind and presence to recognize that that is what uh, needs to happen in order to do no harm and treat everyone well. And interestingly and culturally, you know, the word respectful and respect is way more integrated you know, people will say, hey, you're not treating me with respect. Uh, you don't hear the word dignity as much. And I think that is also just like the fact we didn't learn about these topics in high school and college is something that we need to continue to work on, because I do agree with you. And I believe your research is accurate that all of us have an ingrown or a belief of our own value and worth that needs to be treated appropriately and not dismissed on a you know ongoing basis. No, it's so true, and you know I have to I have to confess here, Ed, that um, you know I'm I'm not standing uh, at the pulpit here uh, preaching the moral high ground because you have to know that I'm a recovering dignity violator myself. You no, know? <laughs> guilty. I've been. We all are. We all are. 
So this isn't something that, you know, I mean, I've lived a saintly life or anything. I mean, you just ask my husband, he'll tell you. Um, <laughs> no, so this is, and because, you know, we are also biologically set up to react to people mistreating us. We don't look good when we seek revenge, you know. We don't look good when we lash back and try to get even. And it's it's not pretty what we look like when we're a dignity violator. And so, yeah, you know, I, I told this one group in Boston, I said, you know, I, um, I have a uh, organization now in Boston called Dignity Violators Anonymous. And if, if you would like to come, you're, you're welcome, which, of course, uh, are, are you joking? I was joking. But oh. the woman came up to me after and she said, I'd really like to come to your meeting. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I'm not giving up on that idea. I think it might be a good a good uh, way of uh, spreading the word about dignity. Having absolutely, absolutely. You mentioned in your book, I think it was the ten, ten, the ten temptations. Uh, I don't need you to go through all ten, but you know what was the idea of creating the ten temptations? You know what are they for? What are they attempting to help us with as students of dignity? What I realized um, was that there was something so powerful about experiencing a threat. Um, and uh, of course, this started with my conflict resolution uh, inquiries, trying to look into why do we react so quickly to, you know, when somebody comes at us, I mean, physically, we know that we have this inborn, innate, uh, sort of hardwired fight and flight response that everybody knows about. You know, it's like lashing back the instant somebody tries to come at you. But it also true about dignity violations. I, I ended up exploring this literature on evolutionary biology, and I discovered that and that there were many more of these hardwired instincts that we have in our brain that has evolved as a result of being a member of the human species. That and it's all about self protection. It's all about self preservation, like survival instincts. So, for example, we just talked about taking the bait. That when, let's say you, you start insulting me, well, I'm going to get all upset. I'm going to just send it right back to you. You know, taking the bait means that you, you, you fall prey to the temptation to get even, to want to seek revenge. Or uh, saving face is another popular one. Another, you see it all over the media. People, especially with politicians, but not certainly not limited to them. But when they make a mistake, they lie, they try to cover up, they pretend they didn't do it. Of course, eventually the truth comes out and everybody knows. But um, but the point is that we have this this inborn aversion to looking bad in the eyes of others. We don't like looking bad. We don't like being humiliated or, you know, ashamed, shamed mostly. And so we are biologically pre-programmed to react to those situations by self-deceit. You know, I'm going to tell Ed that I didn't do that. No, even if I did do it, I made this mistake. I'm not going to come clean. I'm not going to take responsibility. I'm going to deflect it. And uh, so these are that's what those 10 temptations to violate our own dignity are about. There are these internally hardwired reactions that we have to circumstances where we're going to look bad in the eyes of others. and But here's the thing about those, Ed, the, what's most important um, in my view is that we've got to figure, number one, we have to understand we have these reactions, that this is just part of being a human being. Um, but secondly, 
we have to figure out how to control them before they control us. Because these self-preservation instincts get triggered so quickly. I mean, I'm sure you've had this experience where you got into a heated argument and, you know, you turn around and say, whoa, where did that come from? You know, how did I behave so badly there? That's what these instincts do, these self-preservation instincts. And Jerome Barco, one of these great evolutionary biologists, he says, uh, biology is not destiny unless we ignore it. So I'm saying raise consciousness about these things. We've got to figure that out. Otherwise, we're going to end up, you know, like we're what we're seeing in the Ukraine right now in, in Russia. It's going to be awful. It's going to be awful. So we've got to figure out how to push the pause button before we react uh, to these biologically hardwired reactions to threat. So really hard. It is difficult. And maybe one of the most difficult of them all, and I just want to spend a couple of minutes on it, is a word you were just referencing, which is accountability. And certainly, if you set a crane aside for a moment and look at the US, you know, we have seen politicians who don't seem to be accountable for their behaviors. They say one thing, but then say something else or change their mind and don't admit they ever said it the first time, things of that nature. Uh, you know, I don't remember taking a class on how to not be accountable. So this is just a, a human behavior that we observe and utilize because we're afraid of the outcome, of course, if we are accountable and say, that was me, I did it, I'm ashamed that I did it, I won't do it again, things of that nature. You know, any thoughts or observations on accountability, Donna, and the role that it plays in dignity? Absolutely, and this is where I'm gonna dra drag in your concept of bravery, because- Bring it in. What it takes, Ed, in order to control those impulses, it takes bravery. It takes bravery because, well, first of all, let me just say that the biggest problem with these temptations to violate our own dignity and the dignity of others by covering up and do, not being accountable, blaming others and all that, the, the, the biggest uh, casualty in these situations is the truth. And so, but what it takes to overcome this hardwired impulse to cover it up what it takes is tremendous um, bravery, I believe, because what if you have if you're I mean, I, I happen to be a uh, an advocate, a fierce advocate, advocate for truth. And if you can't make come forward and say. I made a mistake, you know, I really am sorry. I, I shouldn't have done this. I, I said that and I hurt people when I said that. And, uh, you know, I don't know what I can do, I, but I really want to take responsibility for the harm that I've caused you. And then that opens up a whole new conversation. And just going back to the workplace, I mean, just imagine what bravery it takes, what, what courage, what strength. It takes strength to be vulnerable like that, Ed. And it, it just, but it's so, the, the reaction is paradoxical because when people experience you taking responsibility that way and being brave and saying, yeah, I did it, you know, I made that mistake. You know what, you, what the paradoxical reaction is? People feel um, they empathic, you know, they say, 
boy, if, if she can do that, if she can take responsibility like that, that gives me permission to be vulnerable too. And to say, yeah, you know, I did mess up on that project yesterday. And I, instead of, you know, covering everything up. So that, that's the alignment right there. I see that um, with your work. And I mean, uh, there's many, many areas of alignment, but that bravery is what it takes because you're fighting your biology. You're fighting deeply held instincts inside of you, you know, and you have to push the pause button. We have to learn how to, uh, to unlearn those reactions and um, because they're, they're really, you know, I, I have a slide when I'm giving a talk and I say, you know, these self-preservation instincts that get us into big trouble. And then I, my next slide is, but what if the self you're preserving is in desperate need of change? So we got to look at ourselves. We have to be able to hold up the mirror and say, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I did it. I'm responsible. But boy, those words are so hard to utter sometimes. It does seem hard to utter. And I think another human behavior, in addition to somebody saying, wow, if you can admit that you made a mistake, I can admit I made a mistake because if it's okay for you, it must be okay for me. Another behavior is also kind of diminishing the impact, right? When someone says, hey, Ed, I made a mistake on something, I'm very likely to say, oh, don't worry about it, Donna. It wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, I really appreciate you saying that. Whereas if you didn't admit it, you know, it would be a much more tense and frustrating experience. So there's something vulnerable and engagement building, right? And humanistic about saying, hey, I think I could have handled that better because the likelihood of somebody else saying, not a big deal, don't worry about it is greater than it would have been if you took a hard stand and were dancing and denying and creating all of these crazy behaviors that we see from time to time. Donna, I'm just wondering, you know, as we think about leaders in organizations and our desire to help them be brave at work, and for me, the definition of bravery has to do with saying that something that has to be said or doing something that has to be done regardless of the outcome. So the importance of saying it is greater than the impact of what it might be. Uh, any thoughts or ideas for folks on how they can start on this journey? You know, are there one or two things you think they should be thinking about uh, by investing dignity into these conversations to help others behave or interact with colleagues more effectively? Well, I always I'm a big advocate of education, Ed, because um, as we talked about numerous times here in our time together, the the educational system has ignored these issues for far too long. And I'm happy to report that they are all over uh, the, all over the world now, thanks to several organizations that we have worked together, those of us who are trying to promote this dignity education. So I think people have to first learn about it. You know, I mean, I'm not that I'm shamelessly promoting my book, but I think both of the books are really make it very clear and explicit what dignity looks like and gives you the, I give you examples of, uh, especially in the workplace, I give a lot of examples about what it looks like, tell stories. So first and foremost, I think just educate yourself um, on this topic. And, and the other thing, Ed, quite frankly, um, I mean, let me just, before I say the other thing, there are a lot of tools that I have uh, in my books. So it's, pretty uh, helpful in trying to figure out how to apply it under varying circumstances. But I think the most important thing I would like to say to your listeners um, is 
just to remember that we all have dignity. You have dignity. They have dignity. Because when I go into organizations to start working with people, it's the first thing I work on with them because the vast majority of people haven't even thought about this word, about my internal and my inborn value and worth. They haven't even given it consideration. It's about, oh, am I good enough? Am I this or that? But do I have inborn worth and that nobody can take it away from me? You know, Archbishop Tutu uh, said to me once that, uh, you know, the only way they got through apartheid in South Africa was knowing that they had their dignity and that nobody could take it away from them. That's what helped them, you know, with all of the dehumanizing policies and politics and the way they were treated. And they said we could hold our head high because we knew we had dignity. And I, it, it, it's so empowering. I just want people to accept it, accept their dignity, claim, claim your birthright, um, because that's the beginning. And to me, once we know that we have dignity, so much indignity is perpetrated on others because we don't feel very good about ourselves. You know, some of the biggest dignity violators are people who don't have, think they have dignity. So, uh, you know, we can do harm to each other without accepting our own inherent value and worth and vulnerability. So that would be my message. Well, thank you. And I think uh, upon ending our podcast, that is a key learning point for all of our listeners that maybe that is the magic of the word dignity in that it is something that you have that nobody can take away. Right. They can take money. They can take your home. You know, they, there's all sorts of things people can take from you, but you're born with dignity and that is something that no one can take from you. So, Donna, thank you so much for your time today, your thoughts and research and information regarding dignity at work and in the world. If folks want to learn more about what you're doing and how to connect with you, how might they do that? Well, I have a website, um, drdonnahicks.com. It's all lowercase. Um, and there's a way for them if they wanted to um, be in touch with me, there's a, a way to do that. So that's the easiest. Fantastic. And you know, I do want to also mention I've read Leading with Dignity, and I love that you wrote it from the vantage point of a practitioner and not an academic and not that there's anything wrong with academics, but it's not an 800 page, you know, PhD paper on dignity. It has examples. It's written in everyday language and i really loved reading it so donna once again thank you so much for joining us so welcome and to our listeners thank you for joining us today and we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work we also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms we are everywhere our podcast today was sponsored by cabot risk strategies whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.